Good morning, everybody. If the kids could come up here and join us. So when I was thinking about what to say today, the first thing I thought of was, wow, I'm actually a big kid now. Like, wow, <laughs> that's amazing, I got there. So when, and I thought to myself, when I was little, what did I look forward to being a big kid? It was totally staying up later. My bedtime was later. I thought that was the coolest thing. So what do you guys think is something cool about being a big kid? You get your own phone. You get your own phone. That's a good one. You get to be, you get to help with your younger siblings. You get to help with your younger siblings. You get to drive a car. Driving. That's a good one. You get to go to the running team. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Two more. I get the Ram Charger. Ram Charger. Good one. You get more than your little siblings. You get more than your little siblings. <laughs> So I, when I was thinking of this, I thought that one thing that was super cool about being a big kid and even being an adult is that there's always so much to learn about God. We'll never know enough about God, and there's so much more to learn about him. And I think that being a big kid and being an adult, that when you learn about God, it gives you life and it keeps you young. So I have a verse. It's 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. So many of us that are sitting up here are graduating seniors, and so we're going to step into new roles in our walk with God, and you all can too, and one of them is joining the youth group. So it's really something exciting to look forward to. So we have coloring sheets and crayons for you. And on the bottom of the coloring sheets, we wrote our favorite scripture. And so find it in your Bible and read it. Breck and those seniors, a big hand. Thank you, Breck. Great job. Thank you, Gary. Let's turn to Matthew 12. Preach the word from Matthew 12. Two words for you. Grace and peace. peace. I would love for you guys to say this mission statement with with me. If you don't know it, it's on the front of our bulletin at the very top. And our mission at Gateway is to grow closer to Christ and encourage others to grow closer to Christ. So I'm thankful that... uh, That's what we're trying to have our lives be all about. There's a couple of things going on this week. Just want to make you aware of. One of them is going to be very bitter sweet. And when I say that, I mean for some of you, it's going to be bitter. And for others of you, it's going to be sweet. And that is, on Tuesday at 2 o'clock, we're going to turn these pews back around and we're going to make them normal and we're going to face that way. And for some of you, yeah, clap. Yeah, go ahead, clap. Yeah. For some of you, it's so sweet because you guys hate this. And you've told me so. John, I hate it. I hate it. 
Some people told me I'm not coming back to church until you change it. And they don't. They haven't come back. And so uh, it'll be sweet for them. And some of you have said, John, I love this. I love looking across and seeing the smiles on people's face when they're worshiping. It's so encouraging to me. I love it so much. And it's going to be bitter for you. And so we're glad that all of you are unhappy. All right? Because we don't want to have a church where we have a bunch of spoiled brats, where people get their way all the time. We want to make sure that you get stretched and you have to go through things that you don't like. And so you're welcome. Uh, so if you, those of you who are so excited that we're going to turn this around, you're like, yes, finally we're going to turn it around. You could put your muscles where your mouth has been and you could show up. On Tuesday at 2 o'clock, all those of you who clapped, you were volunteering, you can show up Tuesday at 2 o'clock and you can help me and Connor turn all these pews around and face that way, all right? Another thing that's happening this week is that we have the, uh, the prayer breakfast. It's out on the pew there. There's a deal that says Unity. This is the uh, National Day of Prayer and it's the Lincoln County Prayer Breakfast and the speaker is an NFL player and you guys are going to be blessed. I know I have been every year I've gone. Uh, they, there's some great just community members, Christians from all different churches who pray, lead us in prayer. They have a good breakfast. The speaker always does a good job. And the, the teenagers, you guys next Wednesday, this Wednesday night, you'll be going over to meet with some other Christian teens from the Nazarene Church and other churches in town. And you guys will be getting to hear that speaker Wednesday night. So it's a great week for when we think about the... Uh, Think about this National Day of Prayer. It's a great, great time. And we want to be praying for Caitlin because while we're at the prayer breakfast, she'll be going into her surgery. And so we will be praying Thursday morning for Brian and Deborah, and most especially Caitlin, as we go there to the prayer breakfast early Thursday morning. And at the end of our service today, we're going to have a special time of prayer for Caitlin. Well, um, we're finishing this series today. And... Um, the series has been called Killing It, and uh, so I accidentally hit this thing forward. Let me back it up here. Uh, Killing It is the name of the series, and we've been talking about killing sin. The Bible calls it crucifying the flesh, or put to death the misdeeds of the body. So we've been talking about how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to kill sin? The Bible tells me to do so. How am I supposed to do it? Now, I want to start, the way I want to start this today is I want to, I know the kids just went and sat down, but I want to try this one more time. Uh, there, somebody left this on my, the door of my office this week, and I don't know if you can see on there, but it says, killing it. And so I don't know who did that, but thanks, but it doesn't quite fit me. Okay, so what I want to do with this shirt is I'm going to invite every, all, the, all the kiddos who are here that are from kindergarten up to uh, fifth grade. Come up here right now, right here at this spot, quick, fast, right here, kindergarten to fifth grade, right here, quick, quick, quick. You're going to have a chance to win this shirt that says killing it. I can only give one person this shirt. I can't give everybody one. So a whole bunch of kids are going to be disappointed when they leave church today. So what we're going to do is I'm thinking of a number between 1 and 40. 1 and 40. And I want you guys to tell me one number, and then we'll see who wins. Alice? Two. two? That's a good number. 32. 32? 10? 26? 27? 
35. It's in between 1 and 40. Less than 40. How much? Okay, we'll make it 40. How about that? 40. 33. I'm going to make it 33. And yours? 25. 20. 15. 5. 3. 7. 26. 20. 20. You want to play, Kendrick? 14. That's a good number. I like 14. So just to make sure that you guys knew I wasn't cheating, I wrote the number down so that you guys would just be able to look at it. And here's the number right here. What number is it? Eight. It's the number 8. And that means that Andrew is the winner. He, he picks 7. Way to go, Andrew. You guys can go sit back down with your, kid, with your parents. Now, the reason I wanted to do that today is because I think when we think about sin and we think, okay, I'm trying to get rid of sin out of my life, I think a lot of times we feel it's a little bit like that game, like it's kind of lucky. There's some people I know, they just seem to be lucky. Like they, you know, temptation comes their way and they just don't have any problem or temptation doesn't even come their way. And other people are unlucky, like they have all kinds of problems and they all kinds of addictions and all kinds, it's just luck. Or some of us think, well, for me, it's like during the week, some days I get lucky and I make it through and I don't sin. And other days, oh man, I was so unlucky that day. But we've been learning that's not true. That's not biblical. The Bible teaches us that there's certain things that we can believe that will help us crucify the flesh. Certain things that we can do to repent. Because repent means to change my mind. On the count of three, I want you to say those three words. One, two, three. Change my mind. That is to repent. And that leads to a change of direction. So we talked about these things. I'm going to recap really quick. We said sin enslaves. And I had a little cage and we said you get caught in sin and you can't get away. Sin enslaves. And so some of you feel that way. You're like, yes, that's true. Exactly. I feel like I am stuck and I can't get out of this sin. Sin enslaves. It deceives. It's deceptive. It destroys people and families. And so what we did that day was we also talked about this. We, first of all, you have to believe that. You have to believe sin is really, really, really bad. Not something I can tame or I, oh, I'll just do it every once in a while. You have to believe it. You have to change your mind. You have to repent. Sin is horrible. But we said this, Jesus rescues. Jesus rescues. He offers us a rescue from this. And so some of you responded that day and you wrote on these cards right here. You wrote, killing it. You wrote on the killing it, I want to kill this sin. And the elders prayed over every single one of these cards. And nobody wrote their names on here. I'm just reading some of them. That Some of you said, I want to gossip, judgment, pride, lust, anger. Um, so many sins, somebody said. Uh, surrender my unforgiving nature. Stronghold of food in my life. Lust, impatience, uh, my critical and judgmental hateful thoughts. On and on things that you said, these are horrible things that are in my life, and I believe God can, Jesus will rescue me from that. So that was what we said the first week. And the next week, Paul preached, and he said this. Paul said, Christianity is about this right here. Give to God what belongs to God. If you think Christianity is about keeping a list of rules, I do all these things, 
and I don't do these things. Well, that's good that you do and don't do. Those are morality things. That's wonderful. Fantastic that you do those. Just don't call it Christianity. That's not Christianity. Christianity is surrendering your life, giving your heart, giving yourself to God. And that's what Paul talked to us about on that day. We want to give him our entire self. And then last week, what we talked about was this. We said that you're perfect. Why? Because God claimed it. Now, it's hard to believe that I'm perfect because I know all the things that I struggle with. But this is what we did. We took this little casket right here. And a bunch of you responded and you wrote on this what you used to be. Not what you are anymore. Why? Because Jesus, God says who you are if you're in Christ. And we looked at 34 claims of God. If you're a Christian, here's 34 things that are true about you. And if you didn't, weren't here last week, you hadn't heard that, I encourage you to go back and listen. 34 things that you are if you're a Christian. And so people came forward and said, I used to be these things. I used to be a hypocrite. I used to be a failure. I used to be, uh, let me see, I used to be a gossip. I used to be judgmental. I used to not trust God. I used to be guilt-ridden. I used to be an addict. I used to be uh, lost. But that's not who I am now. Because I'm in Christ Jesus. So this is what we've been talking about. We have to change our thinking from thinking that I am my sin. You're not your sin. Your sin is what you're trying to crucify. To say thinking I am my weakness. You're not your weakness. We're trying to crucify our weakness, the flesh. That's not who you are. We believe God and we believe what He says about us. It's so important if we're going to be able to crucify the flesh. Now this morning, I want to talk to you guys about house guests. House guests. I think we get a few more house guests when we live in the mountains than if we lived in Muleshoe. I could be wrong. It's just what I think. And I like having house guests, but I like what Benjamin Franklin said. Benjamin Franklin said this. He said, house guests, like fish, after three days, begin to stink. Isn't that the truth? Three days. That's kind of Amy and I's, that's kind of our, our plan. We're going to go see family, and we love and we can't wait to go. And we're leaving in three days, because we don't want to stink. And so here's a cartoon. This is pretty good. I don't know if you can read this or not, but it, it's, a, it's some, a couple. They're at a bed shop, and it says, we're looking for something small and uncomfortable. It's for the guest room. <laughs> so that might be a good plan if you are tired of stinky you know, company, then uh, that might be a good plan. Go to the bed shop and get the most uncomfortable small bed you can find. House guests. House guests are important. And here's what I want us to see today. That the only way for you to kill the sin in your life and for me to kill the sin that we struggle with is to have the right house guests in our house inside of us. And so that's what we're going to read from Matthew 12. But first we're going to pray, and then we'll read God's Word. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thanks for our kids. I'm so glad they're here. I don't care if they make noise. I don't care if they, if they misbehave, if they run around. I don't care, God. And I don't care if people get mad about that. That's fine, too. I'm glad for us to have mad people around here. That's good, Lord. That stretches us and makes us have to grow. We can't be comfortable. I'm so grateful for our kids. 
I pray that these things we're talking about, that it'll begin to sink into their hearts, that they'll begin to know that they can kill the sin in their life. God, I thank you for uh, our teenagers and for Breck, especially this morning. Thank you for her heart that she would share uh, the things that she believes about God and these other seniors. And Lord, we, uh, we just want to thank you for every bit of our church family. We're so grateful to be a part of this church family. We pray for those who couldn't be here today, whether they uh, were sick or whether they are, uh, maybe they just don't want to be here. Maybe they have a, a heart that's just like, I don't want to go today. Maybe they, maybe they are struggling, God, with uh, us. Maybe, maybe we have disappointed them or made them mad. We love them so much, God. We love your church family, your kingdom, Christians. And so we pray for those who aren't here today. Give them what they need, Lord. God, we want to pray for another church family every week. And today we pray for Grace Harvest. Thank you so much for Bobby Barnett, for his great friendship. Thank you, God, for his uh, amazing talent to teach. And I pray today he would present the gospel clearly. And I pray people would be saved because they hear about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I pray for Teresa. Thank you for the great pastor's wife that she is. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would continue to give her everything she needs to help lead that church alongside Bobby. Uh, God, we're grateful to be a part of the kingdom, and we pray that those same things will happen here with us today. As we read your word, Holy Spirit, we ask for you to teach us. We ask for you to change us. We ask for you to repent, that you would help us repent, that you would change our minds, that you would transform us. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our rock and redeemer, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So our text is going to be from Matthew chapter 12, a pretty familiar verse that you guys probably know this story. Jesus tells this story. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, that's what we've been talking about, getting sin out. When it comes out, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house, talking about the person. I'll return back to that person. I'll return to the house I left. And when that spirit arrives, it finds a house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, that's what we need. We need things to be decent and in order. We need our lives to be well-ordered. We need to have everything kind of in a row, just the right way. And that's good. But that's not the point. The point is the house is unoccupied when the spirit gets back. And look what happens next. It's not pretty. Then the spirit goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and they live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Yikes. That's frightening to me. That's a frightening story that Jesus tells. And there's several things we learn from this story. One of the things we learn is this. We learn that spirits are looking for somebody to live inside of. Have you ever met anybody who you just they had an air of arrogance about themselves? Very dignified and above all of you little peons. a spirit living inside of somebody spirit of pride 
Spirits are looking for people to live inside of. And the other thing we learn is this. We learn, we learn that it's not enough to just get rid of the Spirit that's bothering us. This is another thing that many people do, whether they're Christians or not. They have a Spirit living inside them. They may not know that, but it causes them all kind of problems in their life. So you know what they do? I mean, they're, all of a sudden they got problems with their family. Maybe their wife or husband is going to leave them. They got problems with their finances. They're going to go bankrupt. They got problems with the law. The police are showing up on their doorstep. And so what do they do? They say, I got to get this problem straightened out. And they go get that one problem straightened out. That's a scary thing to do if you don't fill the house up when you get that one problem taken care of. We've got to get the house filled up. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about three house guests. It's pretty obvious. We're going to talk about God, our lives being filled with God, our lives being filled with Jesus, and our lives being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the only way to sustainably overcome sin in our life for the long haul. It's the only way. Now, today, three ladies are going to paint for us the rest of the letters on our cross. And this cross is going to be hung up on our building, and hopefully you'll remember some of the things we talked about. So I'm going to invite them to go ahead and come now, and they're going to paint while I preach. And we'll see when they get done what they've put on the cross. So, the first thing that we're looking at here today is this. We're looking at the first house guest being God. That we want God to be the house guest in our life. Now, how many of you have ever had in your life a bad house guest? Raise your hand if you've ever had a bad house guest that stayed with you. Keep them up for a minute. I want to see because... I know how you feel. I'm, I'm, this makes me feel so much better. I've had some bad house guests in my life. Maybe you've had somebody and they broke stuff, you know? They knocked the lamp over or they spilled their stuff on the carpet all the time. And, and they're just a bad house guest. And I actually had a guy that when I was a youth minister in Clovis that lived with me for a while because he was homeless. And you know what he did while he lived with me? He stole my stuff and went and hawked it. That's a bad house guest. That's horrible. And I think we feel this way about God sometimes. If I let God come into my life, if I let Him fill up my house, He's going to take the good stuff away from me that I really want in my life. He's going to break all my fun. I don't, I don't want Him to be a house guest. But that is a false that's a message from the devil. That's not true. God, this is what we got to believe right here. God is... Everybody say it on the count of three. One, two, three. God is good. God is good. Every single thing He has to bring to your life is good. That's all He wants for you is good. He doesn't want anything bad. Everything He wants to bring to your life is good. And he has lots of good stuff to give you. You remember the story about the prodigal son? He took off and he ran away from his family. And he went and had a great time and partied and spent all his dad's money. And then he ends up in a really bad place in his life, at a horrible moment in his life. And this is what the Bible says. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, that's where dad is. 
At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. God has all this good stuff to offer, and here is this man at a pig trough. But he comes to his senses and he realizes, God has, my dad has everything I need at home. Why am I out here? Why don't I go home? Here's another scripture that illustrates this. Philippians 1.6. This is what Clint and Dominique read for us. Thank you. Great job, guys. I'm certain that God who began a what? Good work. On the count of three, everybody say those two words. One, two, three. Good work. That's what he's doing in you. That he will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God is doing good work inside of you. So let him be your house guest. Invite him every day when you wake up. God, I want you to be living in this house. Now, when I'm talking about a house, I'm talking about us. I'm talking about our heart, our body, our soul, our mind. Letting him live in us to be filled up with him. The second guest is, of course, Jesus. We want Jesus to be our house guest inside of us. Have you guys ever known somebody who is a one-upper? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? A one-upper? You know, like you, you say, it doesn't matter what you say, they've done something better, you know, or whatever you're going to get. Like, oh, I got, I'm get, yeah, I got this iPhone finally. And like, oh, that's the number 27. That's old. I've had the iPhone 27 for years. I got the iPhone 28 on order. It'll be here tomorrow. Or, or you, you, know, you say, oh, I, I finally got a car that I saved up for, and I bought this uh, Ford Taurus. And they're like, oh, please, Ford Taurus, those things stink, man. I had one, it broke down all the time. Come look at my car. Look what I got over here. They're like one-uppers. You say, oh, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to get to go to St. Louis, and I'm, I think I'm going to get to go on the arch. And Oh, please, the arch. I went to Paris, you know. I was in the Eiffel Tower at the top. And, you know, the, the other guy is there with, a, you know, you're, maybe you're at a party. You guys remember Brian Regan talked about this, the guy who always has to one-up the me monster. And he goes, oh, Paris, that's nothing. You know, what are you talking about? I went to China. I walked on the Great Wall. I walked the whole thing barefoot, just like they used to, you know. <laughs> Somebody else like, well, China, please. I've been, you know where I've been? I climbed Mount Everest. That's where I've been. I've stood on the highest place on the earth. And Brian Regan says, wouldn't it be great? If you were one of the three guys who had stepped on the moon, John Glenn or one of the other two, I don't know their names, but you could just stand there at the party and you could just kind of wait, let all the one-uppers do their little deal, and then they kind of look at you and you're like, I stepped on the moon. All right, how are you going to top that? Everybody got to go home after that. But here's the thing. I think sometimes we think Jesus is like that. I think we kind of think of him like, well... He's, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. I mean, that Jesus probably feels, well, that's great that you're working in Christian services. Good job, but I walked on the water, you know. That's real nice that you're feeding the hungry, but I fed 5,000. You know, what's your problem? I, I, I'm not saying we'd ever say that, but I think we have this sense like Jesus is so much up and above and higher and better than me. And if I get that close to him and he's a house guest, it's just going to make me feel bad. But look, look at this is what we need. This is what we need right here. We need this scripture, Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest, that's Jesus. We do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weakness. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, 
yet did not sin. Jesus empathizes. He understands. When you go through a sin, a hard time, a temptation, you trip and fall, he's like, oh man, I, I know. I have been there. I faced that. I know what that feels like. This is what we got to remember about Jesus. He understands. Jesus understands, folks. Think about these scriptures right here that tell us about Jesus' understanding. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you could do nothing. He says, look, here's the deal. You just stay close to me and I'm going to help you accomplish the crucifying of your flesh. You stay close to me and, and you're going to be able to be fine. But if you try to get out of there on your own, it isn't going to work out so well. Here's another scripture he says in Philippians. He says, I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. That's what Paul says. I've heard Christians say before, I'll never get over this sin. I'll never be able to handle this struggle. I'm never going to be able to change at least this one thing in my life. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says in Jesus, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And here, of course, is the third guest. I'm sorry, I think I got one more. Galatians. Galatians 3, look at this. You foolish Galatians who bewitched you before your very eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I think this is one of the strongest things that we can do to overcome temptation is right when that temptation comes, we can preach the gospel to ourselves. Right at that moment, we can remember, Jesus died for me. Jesus took my sin to the cross. Jesus loved me so much, He was willing to take my place. And if we will, at that very moment, preach the gospel to ourselves. What is the gospel? The gospel is, I don't have to earn my way. Jesus paid for my way. The death, burial, and resurrection assures my place in eternal life. Preach the gospel to yourself. Put the crucified Christ right before your eyes when you feel temptation. And see what God does with that. Here's the third house guest, of course, is the Holy Spirit. I wonder if any of you have ever had a house guest who, who came to stay with you, but they were not helpful. Like they, they sat down to eat, and they eat dinner, and then they get up and they go turn on the TV. And they don't, not at all, they don't pick up their plate, they don't help load the dishwasher. They get up in the morning and they leave their bed unmade, and they take off their shoes and socks, and they stink up the living room. Anybody had a house guest like this? <laughs> Do you want to tell us who it is? Okay, all right, that's probably a good idea. All right, <clears throat> so if you have a house guest like that, uh, it's not helpful. Man, that is discouraging. But here's the deal. We need to remember this. The Holy Spirit, He is helpful in our life. You invite Him to be, each morning you wake up, Holy Spirit, be my house guest, live in my heart. He will help you all day long. Here's some of the scriptures of what he, how He helps us. When He comes, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. If you invite the Holy Spirit to be your house guest and, on, and tomorrow you tell a lie, the Holy Spirit will say, if I, let's say I tell a lie tomorrow, the Holy Spirit will say with me, John, Hey, John, that's a lie. 
And it's sin. And it hurts people. And that's not who you are anyways. That lie, look, let's look at it together. That lie, he convicts us of what? Of sin. Now there's a different voice, and that's from the accuser, the devil. And if I tell a lie tomorrow, this is what the devil says. John, you're worthless, you liar. Do you think God will ever love you? Are you kidding me? He's never going to want to hear you say another word in your life. You liar. There's two voices. Which one are you listening to? Are you listening to the convictor? The one who helps you look at your sin and convicts of sin? Or are you listening to the condemner? The one who points at you and says, you are condemned. Because it makes a big difference. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit when He convicts us of sin. It's so helpful. Here's the next thing the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. I've had times in my life, I bet you have too, when I have been so discouraged, I have felt like such a failure. I have tripped and fallen and sinned. I've been so tired. I've been so worn out. I felt like quitting. And I've had people come up and just put their arm around me. Mm. Man, John, is it okay if I pray for you? Is it all right? Yeah. Just kind of put their arm right there and just, and they prayed. I don't even know what they're praying, but they were so close. It was helpful. We ought to do that more often, by the way. That's not what this sermon is about. That's a great idea. When we see someone discouraged, I'll pray for you. See you later. I'm going to play golf. All right, talk to you later. Uh, No, how about if we say, wow, I can tell you're discouraged. Hey, come here, come here. Let me just, I'm just going to say a quick prayer for you. You don't have to pray for an hour. You can pray for 30 seconds. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. He comes up beside us and he puts his arm around us and he pulls us in nice and close. He says, let me pray about that for you. And I don't even know what he's praying. He's praying in words and ways that I can't even comprehend. Holy Spirit is helpful. So we want God, we want Jesus, we want the Holy Spirit to be our house guests. Now, I'm going to give you two things today. I think that's where I'm at right here. I'm going to give you two exercises today that you can do to get ready for temptation. Two exercises, not when you're tempted, but to get prepared for the temptations that are coming your way. Okay? Here they are. They come from Jesus being tempted in the desert. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been talking about. I want to be having the Holy Spirit as my house guest. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Do you guys know that? That the Jesus was tempted for 40 days straight? What a tough time. Every day for 40 days. Now the Bible says after this was over, the devil left for a more opportune time. He didn't quit. But for 40 days, and some of you probably have felt this, since we've been doing this little series, and some of you said, I'm going to write something down on that deal up there. I'm not going to lie anymore. And you wrote it on that piece of paper, the devil went, really? And he's been tempting you more than ever. It's tough. The devil's not messing around. He's not kidding. He's not playing. And for 40 days, he had Jesus out in the wilderness, tempting him. 
And I want to show you two things that Jesus did. That's why I think these are two good suggestions, because Jesus did them. If Jesus did them, it seemed like pretty good ideas. I think I'm safe on that one. So here we go. Here's the other deal. These two things, I'm, I'm just guessing 90% of us in the room, maybe 95% of us, maybe 99% of us are not doing these two things. Here we go. What happened with Jesus? He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. There's two things that Jesus did right there. And the first one is that he fasted. Now fasting traditionally is fasting from food. I know a lot of you, I, I, I saw it in your eyes just now. I saw, I saw a lot of you like, oh, he's talking about fasting. Forget that. I'm going to check the weather real quick. How's the golf tournament going? Hang in there for a second. Just listen to me for a second. Fasting traditionally has been from food, but you can fast from anything. You could fast from TV or you could fast. I, I, I've actually heard people who've said they fasted from talking because they talked all the time. They couldn't quit talking. So they're like, I'm not going to talk for one whole hour. And they almost died. You know, they almost blew up. You can fast from whatever. But let's just talk about food for a second. If you were to practice this in advance before the temptation came, and you said, I'm going to fast. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give it a try. John talked about it. Jesus did it. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to do it tomorrow at lunch and dinner. So I'm going to fast for two meals. I'm going to miss two meals. So tomorrow at lunch, you're going to miss, and you're going to get kind of a little bit hungry. You're going to be like, oh, I, could, I probably could eat something. I'd like to eat. That'd be all right. Yeah, eating, eating's pretty good. Then you're going to go home, and you're going to skip dinner. Now, let me, hold on just a second. Let me make sure. This doesn't make you more holy. doesn't make you more righteous. God doesn't sit up on the edge of his throne and go, oh, they're fasting. Now I'll pay attention to them. That's all untrue. This has nothing to do with being a holy person. This has to do with practicing overcoming sin. Because at dinner time, you're going to be really hungry. Your stomach's going to be making weird noises you haven't heard ever before because you've never skipped two meals before and and then you're just going to be so hungry you're going to be you're going to be like i just oh, i can't even stay in the house i gotta i'm gonna go for a walk and you're gonna walk outside and somebody's gonna be barbecuing it's probably like can't stop smoking like two miles away but you can smell it man you're like watering like you're you know just like oh i'm starving i'm gonna die i'll just go, okay i'll go and i'll watch some tv and just take my mind off of you turn on the food the food network's going to come on that's what's going to be on and you're going to be watching the food network and you're like oh Baby, look at that cheeseburger. Oh, you're going to want to lick the screen. You're going to be so hungry. And then you're going to make it until the next morning and you're going to break fast at breakfast. You know, that's what that means, right? You're going to break fast the next morning. And then on Tuesday, and, and here on that Monday deal, it's not spiritual. It's not righteous to skip food. It's just that you're saying no to your flesh. You're saying flesh you don't get to decide what I do. You don't get to choose. My house guests get to choose. And right now, me and them have made a deal. And you're not in charge. So I'm not going to eat for a couple of meals. And the next day, you're going to go sit down at lunch with some friends, and they're going to be gossiping, and you love to gossip. And you're like, oh, I got something so juicy I got to say. Oh, I got to say it. But you're going to go, no, flesh. No, you don't get to decide what I say. My house guests get to decide what I say. If you haven't tried it, if you've never done it, or you haven't done it in a long time, 
It won't make you more spiritual. God won't love you anymore. You're not going to be a a higher church member. None of that. Nothing like that. But you're going to be doing exercises that are going to get you ready for the next temptation that comes. And here's the other one. And that is memorizing Scripture. Memorizing Scripture. I was just giving you a quiet moment for all of you to think, oh, I can't memorize stuff. I'm no good at memorizing stuff. I can't do that. I'm no good at it. I I can't memorize stuff. I just can't. It's not my deal. Let's see about that. Say this with me. If you, if you happen to have memorized it, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the states of America and to the... for which it... one nation under... end of... with... Oh, you can memorize stuff. Huh, interesting. Or maybe here's another one. John 3.16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes Him will not perish. Oh, you can memorize Scripture, huh? Let's even try a longer one. Just, let's just push it a little further. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the... Oh, you can memorize stuff. See, actually, if you had that thought, oh, well, this part about memorizing, I can't do. Actually, let me fill in a different blank. You're lazy. <laughs> You're lazy. It's all right. It's, it's, not like, you know, it's not like you're a murderer or something. You're just lazy. So stop being so lazy and spend some time opening your Bible and finding some scriptures that will matter when the temptation comes. So that when you sit down and you're like, Oh, that per- I mean, you, you're, you're talking to, you're talking to a, a person that is, I'm trying to think of a good example. Uh, you're talking to somebody who is supposedly a customer service person and they're taking care of you at the customer service desk, but they're actually a moron, all right? And what you want to say is you moron. That's what you want to say. And a bunch of other stuff. But instead, you've memorized the Scripture and you go, and it just comes up in your head and you're like, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may encourage those who listen. And you go, that, well, let's see, moron, that's not going to encourage this person. I'm not going to let that unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. And memorizing Scripture is one of the ways that Jesus used to overcome temptation. Fasting is one of the ways He used. You are no better than Jesus. Try these two exercises this week. Try them this year and see what difference? If you're serious about killing sin, if you're serious about it. Now, here's the deal, folks. If we fill up, if we fill up with Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, we're going to be in a state of grace all the time. If you wake up in the morning, you're like, God, fill my heart today. Jesus, fill up my mind. Holy Spirit, lead my every thought. You're going to be in a state of grace all day long. We're going to finish this series with one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. I love this scripture. It's from Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared 
that offers salvation to all people. Isn't that beautiful sentence? In fact, read it with me out loud. It's so beautiful. Read that sentence with me. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. God's grace is available to everybody. And if you haven't accepted it, I've been praying that God will do that work of salvation in you today, that you would accept His grace. Look what it does. It, that's grace. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. What is it that teaches us? Is it a list of rules? Is it going to church and listening to the preacher? Is it getting in trouble with my wife? What is it that teaches me to say no to ungodliness? It's none of that stuff. It's God's grace that teaches me to say no to ungodliness. Look at how the scripture finishes. I love this. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is, this is it. This is God's grace who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And I know I'm talking to a room full of people that are eager to do what is good today. And I know why that is, because grace has grabbed a hold of your heart. And that's what we want to do for the rest of our life, is spend our life embracing grace. These ladies that have painted for us, what they painted here, and you'll be able to see it in a moment when we stand up, and that is they painted grace across this way, and they painted peace down this way. Because Paul always says grace and peace. He never says peace and grace because you don't have any peace in your life. If you're struggling with a sin, if you're addicted to a sin, if you're holding on to sin, if you're playing with sin, if you're taming sin, if you're thinking it's no big deal, I guarantee you, you don't have any peace in your life. I've been there. I know. I know what it feels like to have no peace in my life. The only way to get peace is to embrace grace. Hold on to grace. Grab a hold of grace. Hold on to grace with all your might. Swim around in grace. Sing grace. Say grace. Give grace. Accept grace. Grace, grace, grace. That is our only hope for having peace. So for our invitation today, we're going to do the same thing we've been doing every week. And that is there's a card on your pew. And this is how we're going to finish up our sermon time today. And it says this. It says, I'll fill my house. I will fill my house. And there's some of them on your pews. There's also some of them sitting right up here. And there's some pens sitting up here. And maybe God, during this sermon, has put it on your heart that you want to fill your house up with these things right here. That you say, I'm going to write on my card. I'm going to believe God is good. I've been thinking He's bad, but now I'm filling my house up with God is good. Or maybe you want to say, I'm going to preach the gospel myself. Every time that I'm tempted, that's what, I, that's what I'm going to fill my house up with is the gospel. I'm going to do it every time that I'm tempted. Or maybe you say, I'm going, to dis, I'm going to believe that the Spirit will help me and I'm going to depend on that. Or I'm going to try fasting this week. Or I'm going to memorize Scripture this week. Or you may think of something else that you want to fill your heart up with, your house up with. Something that will help you, something that will help you when the temptation comes so that when that Spirit that you've got out of your life 
comes back to check and see, can I get back into that house? That Spirit will find your house full. Full of God. Full of Jesus. Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of grace. Overflowing. And there's no room for that Spirit or any other Spirit to move back in. So this is your opportunity to write on that card or come up here and write on the card. Kids, you're welcome to do it as well. And at the next elders meeting, our elders will pray over these cards as well. We're going to stand and sing this song. You come if you'd like to write on this card. I'll go first.